Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I want you to put in your diary the 15th of October, 7 p.m. at the State Library Theatre. I'm doing a show called The Consequences of Murder with an amazing former Queensland police officer, Helen Rose. I go into detail I've never shared before, particularly on a personal side. As the show is a little bit different this time, we go deep into the murders that we've been involved in, but also the effects of being involved in those murders. The murder that Helen was involved in will shock you to the core. It's everybody's worst nightmare. So grab a ticket and we'll see you there. Thanks. Uh, Hello and thanks for listening and coming with me as we explore the human side and impact of crime. And just a couple of things I'd like to ask you to consider. Firstly, My guests share their personal stories, which others may see differently. No one will see a situation the same. It's just human nature. Uh, Secondly, my podcasts aren't suitable for children and some adults for that matter. So please consider if it's right for you and contact Lifeline or any other support service if you find yourself affected by my subject matter. This week, we're going to give you another slice of goodness, part two of my interview with former Victoria Police Senior Chaplain, Jim Pilmer. I just love Jim's outlook on life, his measured, non-judgmental views on the world, and in particular, those who don't hold his views about religion. You know, I think more people would be drawn to religion if there were more people like Jim in this world. Jim's submission to the Legal and Social Issues Committee inquiry into Victoria's criminal justice system just shows Jim's breadth and understanding of the support which would assist not only emergency services but the community as a whole. What it also highlights is the complete lack of understanding by those who make decisions about where money in our community is spent. My podcast is far from political, but the current Andrews government didn't see a need for what Jim's submission suggested. 
I just don't know how anyone could think that, let alone say it. I'm going to do what I can to support Jim in his endeavours for uh, particularly secondary victims of a crime or people that witness a scene. They might uh, be involved in a domestic violence situation, in a suicide, in an unexpected death, a car accident, etc. I must uh, warn you as well that this week we talk a little bit about Burke Street. So uh, thank you again, and here's part two of Jim. Um, you, you must have um, an inner strength, such an inner strength. Uh, you just being there sometimes with no words spoken is enough to help anyone or someone. Mm-hmm. So where did that come from and when and why did you choose a life of faith or, or did it choose you? <laughs> I, th- <laughs> I think it chose me, to be honest. Um, my parents were not religious, uh, and for some reason I, I latched into the church, uh, in the Anglican Church in, in Melbourne, in Kew. Um, I, um, I was mainly around the tennis club and, and things like that, but at the age of seven I found myself singing uh, in the choir, in the church choir, uh, just a little boy soprano, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Don't even think about giving us a, a tune now. No, no I Jim. won't. I won't. <laughs> For which you'll be truly thankful. <laughs> I shouldn't <laughs> say that. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should have. Uh, but, but, but anyway, um, it, yes. So, um, and uh, interestingly, and this is a personal side light side note, but. Um, when I got, I was still in the choir singing away, and when the the choir master decided to have a a, a girls' choir, so um, uh, by by the stage of about thirteen or fourteen, uh, I think I, I was, know where this is going. I, I Jim. was looking across the <laughs> the choir stool at this girl I thought was pretty good. Yeah, and uh, and and uh, so I'm still with her. Yes, we got married. Oh, <laughs> so, the lovely rosemary. The, the lovely rosemary. So, um, yeah, so that's where I met Rosemary and uh, uh, it, oh, um, it all started back there. Yep. So, uh, so to go back to your question, now I think it, I think in a way it did choose me because I just found myself in that environment. Um, to go a little more deeply into that, I, I was particularly in, intrigued by sort of sacramental worship and communion and, uh, and the Eucharist which it's more commonly known as now um, in our church, um, and those sacramental aspects of sort of the outward and the visible signs of the inward and spiritual mm-hmm. things, mm-hmm. Uh, which is sort of a definition of sacrament, mm-hmm. um, that's always been with me. I've, mm-hmm. I've always found that interesting. And, and, and liturgy and ceremonial, I think they, they speak volumes to people uh, whether you're religious or not, really, you know, mm. ceremony is important. Mm-hmm. Uh, well done ceremony mm. can convey things that you can never really put into words. Yes, true. Uh, and uh, you know, you've only got to be at the dawn service at the shrine and stand in the midst of thousands of people in total silence. Mm. It's uh, beautiful. It's an amazing, mm. amazing thing. Mm. Uh, so, when when liturgy, when ceremonial is done well, whether in the church or or in a civil sense. Uh, that that's, I think it speaks volumes, and that sort of thing has always uh, interested me. And uh, so to be able to take services like 
the Silken Miller funerals mm. and many mm. other funerals. A privilege, really, isn't it? It's a wonderful it? privilege, yeah, but, yeah. but you can sort of, at times, you can feel that it's speaking to people when there are no words, mm. uh, and that's that's part of, yeah. Uh, so I suppose, yeah, going back to the start, it, I think it chose me. I just sort mm. of, mm. Uh, I found these were things I was interested in, yep, yep. and and it uh, became uh, a vocational thing. Mm. Uh, I... I uh, and Rosemary was there as well. Absolutely. That makes, that Absolutely. makes quite a big difference. But, look, it didn't happen easily. I mean, I was resisting that for many, many years. Not Rosemary. I'm talking about... <laughs> I thought you were talking about Rosemary. <laughs> we won't tell Rosemary no, that. No, we won't tell Rosemary that. <laughs> I, I, I was resisting the vocational All right. thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you know, when we were married, we were married when we were 21 like people did back then. Yeah. Um, and um, But, you know, I, I didn't, didn't actually start studying theology till I was 27, 28. And, so what did you do? Uh, I was a PMG technician, as it was called then. Okay. Telstra. Yeah. Telephones. Uh, started when I was 15 years old. So um, I, I did a five-year course and then I worked for, for the PMG, Postmaster General's yeah. Department, yep. uh, for 15 years before I was ordained. Gee. So... Um, what did your mates at the PMG think when you said you were going to be I a... I think they uh, probably thought I was nuts. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I, uh, uh, and you know, and Rosemary, Rosemary, and I had to work through that together. By the time I yeah. started, uh, I, I did a full year, sort of away from family, Monday to Friday, which was a strange arrangement back then. Yeah. Uh, when we had two two girls, De- Debbie and Joanna. Yeah. So um, that that again, that wonderful family support back then mm. to be able to achieve that, mm. uh, and and then. Um, um, I had to, when I first went to the bishop and said, I think I want to do this, he said, well, you'll have to get your HSC, which is a, sort of the, the VCE of today. Mm. Mm. Uh, and I didn't have it. I'd only gone to Form 3, mm. um, sub-intermediate as they called it back then. Mm. Um, so uh, I had to then go to night school and start oh, right. doing that sort of stuff. So it was an interesting journey. Mm. Um, it... it um, but, but I have to say I did have a sense of this is what I want to do and I got to a point where I couldn't resist it mm, <laughs> and yeah. and, uh, and as a family we, we did it together and uh, and eventually I was ordained. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I, have, I have to say, you know, at the start there was something there that kept niggling, there was an inner voice yeah. that I couldn't resist. Yeah, mm. and that's what they say. Mm. I, I think it's uh, interesting when you were just talking about Silk and Miller Um I read somewhere that you realised that there was such a thing as organisational grief. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yes. Um, when when you have a um, an incident like Silk and Miller or the, you know, the Eastern Freeway crash, um, Tony Clark being shot out at launching place, those sorts of things, um, there is a there's an organisational reaction. A shockwave goes through the organisation, yeah. um, and but people uh, there's a uh, it's very complicated. I think, but there are different facets to it. One of those is that uh, m- most of the members who are at least operational say that could have been me. Yes. Um, Absolutely. And <laughs> yeah. uh, 
and and that has that has quite an effect. Mm. Um, it has an effect on them personally, but it also has an effect on their families. I think because uh, yes, because uh, they, they think the same thing. They think the same thing. Could happen to them. Yeah, could, yeah, that yeah. could be my dad. That could be my mum or yep. my my wife, my husband. Yep. My son, daughter. It's um, it, it's quite a real thing, and um, sometimes that uh, that flushes out a phone call uh, where it you know to me where it, it had in the past, people ring up and they're actually in tears. Mm. Um, Talking about the what ifs. Yes. Yeah, what, what if? Yes. Um, and and it raises issues for them about how would they cope if that happened mm. to their partner. Mm. Um, you know, I've got kids. What if my husband? And and we've had those sorts of conversations. So mm. that's a, that's another role of chaplaincy. Mm. But but the organisation itself tends to react by or, or overreact sometimes by trying to prov- to be seen to be comforting. Yes. Um, to be seen to be caring, uh, and often um, uh, that that can become quite overwhelming for the mm. families themselves. Mm. Um, and you know, not, there's not only flowers and and things, and you know, going to the to the home maybe if it's a, an mm. incident of that type. Mm. But but there's phone calls or there's um, people are pulling rank. Yes. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. All sorts of stuff goes on, and it creates tensions sometimes just within a police station, or yep. or within the academy, or wherever yep. it happens. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, and and uh, sometimes the people at, at, at lower levels are saying to people at higher levels, "You should be doing this," or mm. "Why haven't you? Mm. Why haven't you done so and so?" Mm. So it can all get a bit complicated. But there is. Um, in the midst of all of that is an element of anger, I think. Uh, it's it's anger, coming back to what I said at the start, you know, that the uniform hasn't protected us. Yes. Um, we better find someone to blame. Mm. And mm. and then the blame game starts mm. uh, and, and all of that can get very complicated. So in the midst of all of that, the mm. chaplains sometimes have a role uh, and sometimes I've act, actually had to say to people, you know, would you back off, please, you... You're, you're swamping the family, okay, right yeah. yeah, and that's been an awkward conversation. In mm. one case, where I thought, no, "Here goes my job," mm. uh, but um, it, um, it the person looked at me for quite a long time across the table, oh. and then said, "I know what you mean. Thank yes. you." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I and I heaved a sigh of relief, and <laughs> uh, and but yep. you know that. There's an old saying, and it's in the military too, that you are the rank of the person that you're speaking to as a chaplain. Mm. So, um, yep. I, I I used to use that as a little mental note sometimes, and thought, well, I don't know whether I'm going to get away with that one, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, if yeah. I'm if I'm speaking to a superintendent or an assistant commissioner, here I go. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and and it's usually been met kindly and with understanding. Yeah. And sometimes people just appreciate being told, you know, where, where things are at in the sc- yeah. in the grand scheme of things. But but also I think, um, you know, you could get um, a bit of tunnel vision as a police person mm. and I think it's really good to have, um, I think it's, it's healthy to have somebody that's got, that may just sort of bring you into line a little bit yeah. or or uh, tell you something that you hadn't thought of, yeah. you know, because yeah. you're obviously trying to do your best, let's say, with a family and a grieving family. You're doing your best, That's but right. sometimes it just needs somebody, like you say, to say, yeah. 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 Um, in the, the paper, 
that you submitted to the Legal and Social Issues Committee inquiry uh, that I was talking about before into Victoria's criminal justice system, your submission included the suggestion of a rapid response unit to provide immediate on-call support to victims, secondary victims of crime and road trauma and domestic violence situations. Um, Something that would be of such a huge benefit to uh, to VicPol members. Did you ever receive a response? Um, Please tell me yes, Jim. <laughs> no. <gasps> uh, well, well let, let's I'll put a bit of detail to that. Um, I got a response at state government level, um, and I'm, this is not a political statement, but yep. uh, when, when the previous government was in the coalition, yes, uh, they responded favourably and they allocated... Um, $4.5 million for a, a four-year pilot program okay. yep. to, to introduce it. Um, and as you say, it would have been a great support to first responders oh, of all yes. kinds. Um, uh, then, as you know, the, uh, the Liberal Party lost the last election um, and when the Labor Party got in, they said, no, we don't think anybody needs that and they just scrapped it. Oh, so I've been pummeling away since then in various ways, including for the inquiry into the just working of the justice system, mm. um, to see if we could uh, have it reinstated. Uh, there's a lot of aspects about secondary victims, which we could talk about maybe, mm. but mm. Um, the, the, that uh, the original idea was not supported and so we lost the funding. Uh, and I still think it would be a, a worthwhile idea whether the uh, Liberal Party would include that in its mm. up in the upcoming election yeah. uh, policy settings. I don't know, uh, but I have asked them whether they would, and they're considering it. So we'll um, we'll see. But you know, after incidents like uh, Gargasulis in Burke Street, and uh, after domestic violence incidents, and after suicides, and mm. you know, there are just so many areas of community life on a daily basis mm. where that quick response where you have a social worker, a chaplain, uh, maybe uh, somebody with some psychological knowledge or, or grief counselling, mm. mm. but where a team of three or four people could go in and and just be there again. This, the being there thing mm. applies in many, mm. many ways. Mm. Um, but, but get to people quickly, maybe at a scene mm. where they see or hear uh, witnessed terrible things. Mm. Uh, all of that would have a great adva- advantage for the uh, for the first responders because they don't have to deal with the people around them who are distressed, or mm. you know that they can get on with doing what they're there to do. Uh, the people can be supported; they can be given information. Uh, and um, I know after Gargasulis, for example, there were hundreds of people who literally saw mm. people being mown down and mm. and horrible. Mm. visual things, who then got on a tram or went back to the office or went yeah. home in their car and were never talked to yeah. or helped. Yeah. That sort of thing, you know, it's it's bad for the individual but it's actually financially quite uh, mm. crippling for right. uh, the community because uh, yeah. it, weeks later, months later, they'll come out of the woodwork and say, I don't think I'm travelling so mm. well. Mm. Mm. And if they'd got some good help early, preventative help mm. uh, that would would help them enormously psychologically and and mm. spiritually mm. but but it would also you know cut mm. the cost of uh, having to fix things oh, yeah. later on because i can say um as a former member 
attending those sort of incidents, it was always a great concern, uh, not just to me but to my colleagues as well, that there were so many or there were many uh, traumatised people within the immediate incident that we had to leave, just what you're saying there, that we had to leave to fend for themselves because we had a job to do and we didn't have time to comfort and and it is an awful feeling to see somebody so traumatised but you can't do anything because I've got to, you know, organise the traffic or I've got to organise the coroner's event, I've got to organise all sorts of things. That's right. So I think... I just think it's, it's I think it's a no-brainer. I do too. Um, I'm just hoping we can get somewhere with it eventually. Uh, it, we could have a pilot program, I think, where we could have that scheme set up uh, in Melbourne. I believe that, that it was largely the Justice Department who didn't see the need for it originally. Uh, and that, Sorry, and that- Jim, but that I just cannot believe that somebody could say they don't see the need mm. for it mm. because to me that means that they do not understand yeah. what happens at a scene. No, no, that's absolutely correct. I think um, unless... The ripple you, effect is huge. Unless you're there. Um, you know, I think many people in these positions who make decisions about sort of that sort of thing probably get their view of life from the six o'clock news. Yes, uh, being at a scene is not like the six o'clock news. No, and and so you you have to realise what goes on there. I mean, to quote what one sad example or another sad example, um, last year there was a, a crash near the women's hospital in Flemington Road, where, <coughs> excuse me, some people were. Um, were burned to death in the car. There were a lot of people around that scene who heard uh, the screams and then saw saw the incident mm-hmm. and uh, and and then you know and then dispersed. Mm. Um, but um, that was a very traumatic scene. Oh, yeah. Um, well, to, to just let people drift off like that mm. without at, without actually being there very quickly on mm. scene mm. and saying, you know, he, he, at least hand them out a, a phone number mm. and a contact sheet mm. and, yeah. you know, if you're not travelling so well, this is who to get in touch with. Yeah. Uh, but but to, to be actually physically walk up to some of the people who oh, are yeah. distressed at the scene yeah. and and talk to them and maybe sit with them um, and comfort them, and for goodness sake, touch them if you have to hug them. You know, mm. all this business. Hold their hand. Yeah, or... we, you, this business of not being able to touch anybody lately yeah. sort of got, got into the community. Yeah, um, you're not going to do anything inappropriate at a scene like that. If you do, you're pretty sick. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I I just think you know, for goodness sake, hold people and give them some physical comfort, and then yeah. say, look, if you know, can I follow you up? Because as a community, um, and and the church is as bad as anybody at this. You know, we're not good at follow-up. We're pretty good at doing things yes. when it's happening. Yes. Um, when when everybody's distressed and it's all happening and it's active and, and we do our thing. And then we don't think to ring them up a week later, a month later. Mm. It sounds might sound silly, but, you know, six months, 12 months later, it'd be good if you knew who these people were and they were properly followed up. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. And if when you do some of that, sometimes you find that they're actually not travelling well at mm. all, mm. Uh, and that there's been you know a dis- time of distress and it's had an effect on their marriage or mm. Mm. Uh, their relationships or you know mm. um, mm. I, I, I have bad dreams about it or mm. Uh, mm. all sorts of different effects. You, you couldn't be in a, the vicinity of something like that. No. I doubt there could be people that wouldn't be affected, and there's going to be people that are more affected, obviously, than others. Oh, yeah. Um, but also to follow up those people, well, number one is you need to know who they are. Yep. But number two is that you need the um, the personnel. Yes. You know, that is very time-consuming. Yes. And it sounds to me like you're a bit like us in policing, that you just really go from one scene, there is so much happening mm. uh, on a daily basis that you don't, but this is a terrible thing to say, but you don't have the time. No, no. I mean, I don't think... I'm now doing some work with the St John Ambulance Coronial Services team um, and just trying to be as much support to them as I can. And it doesn't mean you're there all the time, but, again, it just means you're available. This whole thing of availability, I think, is very important. But um, if they just know there's somebody available. But most people don't realise that the St John Ambulance Organisation now does the work for the coroner in the metropolitan area and in uh, Ballarat that uh, the funeral directors used to do mm. in transferring deceased people uh, to the coroner's court when, mm. when there's a death. Mm. Um, there's about 7,000 of those cases every year, which the general community doesn't realise. Mm. Um, probably the politicians don't realise either. Mm. So... But, you know, a, a crew at St John and there's a crew of 30 people, 32 people roughly 24-7 doing deceased persons transfers, as they call them. Yeah. Um, they might go to five or six deaths per shift. Uh, one, one crew last year told me they'd done uh, six jobs on a shift and three of those were hangings. It's another issue where people oh, don't realise, yeah. you know, what goes on every mm, day. Mm. So, and then the next morning they front up for work again and mm. they do it all again. Yeah. Um, that's that's one of those areas, just going back to mm. our earlier conversation about, how, you know, how do you do that? Why would you decide to do that? It's a gift and it's a wonderful gift that those people give to the community. Mm. But uh, it doesn't mean it doesn't take its toll. Mm. And uh, and so, but you know, when when you think about how how life works mm. uh, day by day in the community, mm. uh, with uh, with murders, with suicides, with road crashes, mm. uh, with people who die in hospital, and they you know, and there's not a reason for it, mm. so the coroner becomes involved, mm. uh, or they want to know the, the reason more thoroughly. Uh, all of those things become coroner's cases. Um, people who die in a public place, man mm. has a heart attack on a tram in Collins Street and dies, mm. that's mm. a coroner's case. Yeah, yeah. So all, all of those things um, need to be taken into consideration and 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 that's just one area where mm. a rapid response team could be on scene for many of those deaths mm. and provide comfort or support or information. And uh, and I just, but when you, when you expand the list of you know that they could also stay with a family after after a hanging if that's yes. occurred. Yeah, you know, yeah. a woman goes out, finds her husband hanging in the garage. Yeah, yeah. Well, then somebody needs to stay with her. 
Yeah. Um, sometimes they don't have family around them. Mm. Uh, sometimes there's a language issue. Mm. The chaplain could ring up, you know, the, the imam, as I've had to do in, in one case because mm. a little boy was killed in the western suburbs, mm. but there's a ritual to be performed yes. uh, before he goes into the coroner's court. Um, and the imam was able to come and do that ritual for us in the back of the coroner's van mm. uh, before they took him inside. It was my role as a chaplain to contact the imam. So you can act as a bridge and a communication yeah, yeah. Uh, between Like people. a conduit. You are, indeed. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so uh, all, all of those things could be addressed, and, and I think that the whole field of domestic violence uh, after police leave uh, a, a domestic violence scene, mm. uh, you know, as you say, sometimes you just have to walk away from it and leave them and you sort of think, I shouldn't leave this scene, uh, but I've got to go to another job. Yep. That's where the rapid response team could come into play yeah. and say, well, we'll arrange, you know, again, we can f we can refer you to other people, we mm. can bring them in, but in the meantime, we'll stay with you mm. uh, until till you're safe, make sure you're mm. safe. And, uh, you know, you might have to arrange mm. other accommodation or look after the kids or mm. whatever. So actually, it's, a, it's a huge field. Actually, I've just had an idea. I, um, I interviewed a Member of Parliament, Stuart Grimley, and he's mm. uh, with the Justice Party and he's got very, very, he's got some great inroads to Parliament. Yeah. And I'm just thinking now, that's the sort of thing to me, as we just agreed before, it's a no-brainer. Mm. And um, I'm just thinking, gee, I could just email Stuart um, because he asked. That's what he said. That's yeah. what they do. You know, I think I could um, do that. But anyway. Good, good, good. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> I'm in your corner, Jim. <laughs> hey, I thought it was interesting in our discussion for today that you spoke about the advantage of members being able to speak to you without the concern of the conversation being noted um, and added to a member's personnel records, which um, is what occurs if a member um, speaks uh, with a psychologist, for instance, within Victoria Police. That is all recorded. Mm. Um, the fact that some information shared with the psych is added to the personnel file, it's a huge issue and a huge stop sign, I think, for a lot of members. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. 
Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juvederm.com. Uh, including my own, that if you do speak openly, say to a psych about something you're having trouble with, the fact that that goes on your personnel record, people can access that. Hmm. So I think it needs to be better understood and known that, because I didn't know this until I was speaking to you for, for today, that what a member talks to you about, there's no notes taken. No. There's, it's purely counselling, uh, quote, unquote, off the record. Yes. Uh, I mean, I, Unless, I, obviously, would, I, would you agree, unless there was an issue, say, that somebody you knew that somebody was going to um, harm themselves or something, well, is that a bit different, I imagine? It, it, is, it is different. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, all the welfare services uh, really are... are should be and are seen to be complementary. They're, they're working together. There's no one stream that that should be considered to be better than the other. Mm. But but I think and it, and I think in certain circumstances it's obviously important that a person does see a psychologist, uh, and th- and that may be for all sorts of reasons. But including that that person down the track might want uh, compensation or mm. uh, you know um, medical treatment mm. or appropriate referral to other services. So mm. I'm not saying that uh, uh, one must always avoid speaking to psychologists. So oh, yeah, but, no. but, but, but uh, they have their place. They, they, uh, of yes. course, and yeah, and, of course. and that yeah. we as chaplains have our place. And, and but I think that 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 conversational counselling thing that I mentioned to you mm. earlier. Um, just just to be able to talk, yes, off the record, mm. do it informally, all sorts of things come out that you probably mm. wouldn't say mm. to a psychologist. Mm. And, and also um, you, you, do it, you do it where the person wants you to do it. You know, it can be in a coffee shop, it can be at home. Mm. Um, could be on can, a park bench. could be on a park yep. bench and, and it can be in the car where, where the fella before took a lot of crooks and took me. <laughs> Uh, or, um, yeah. you know, it can be here at home. Uh, yeah. come, come and see me here. Yeah. Um, and uh, 
it's always got to be in, a, in you know what these days is described as a safe place. Yes. And and uh, but uh, I, I just think it's got huge benefit because um, the the agenda is is not my, it's not my agenda. I'm not trying to push my idea down anybody's throat. You're just comforting somebody. Yeah, and and the agenda is theirs. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, you know sometimes that's actually ended up in relationship counselling. Um, ra- rather than you know about work, it's uh, yeah. you know something might happen at work, and it's due to what happens at home, as mm-hmm. we were saying right at the start, mm-hmm. or, or vice versa. I, I would think with um, I now know that if at the Tarong landfill site, I think I would have changed my mindset if I knew that. I could talk to you and it wouldn't go on my record, yeah. I think that would have been different. Yeah. I think I possibly would have, yeah. you know, behind the caravan so that the, the um, cup of tea 200, so no one seen me talking right. to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, look, often people are just trying to, you know, if somebody talks to you, they're just trying to sound you out to see whether you whether you're whether you're talkable to, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, do, do I trust this this man or this woman because we've got lots of female chaplains now? Yeah. You know, can, can I trust this person? Yep. Uh, with this stuff, which which is about me and it's very personal, yeah. Um, and uh, if I if I tell them this, so they're going to go and tell my boss. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's I think, a big concern. Well, yeah, I think once I know that that's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I, I wrote a little article for the Age some time ago uh, about a, a situation where one of the police. Uh, at a certain station, said to me, oh, "I can say it. It's, it was at Birundara after the crash." Yes. Um, and this person uh, sort of just caught up with me in the foyer as I was leaving and said, "Can can we go for a walk together?" Mm. And I said, "Yeah, sure." So we went for a walk, and I thought, S- sooner or later, you know, this is he's going to start. We're going to have this in-depth conversation. Mm. And mm. I'll um, I'll be able to explain the meaning of life to him and all of those <laughs> things. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it didn't happen. He didn't talk, and I didn't talk, and mm. I was I was all geared up to yeah. to deal with this. And we went down the street and across a park and over a hill and back up the road. And I thought I wrote in the article, you know, I think I'm not physically fit enough to be a chaplain anymore. <laughs> but um, but but eventually, and we we got back to the station, and I thought, well, he'll say, can we go into a room and have yeah. a talk somewhere? Yeah. Uh, and he said, you know, thanks, mate, that was great, and patted me on the shoulder and disappeared. Um, and we virtually didn't say a word. Now, I'm not sure, I mean, I can't explain fully what that was all about, but I think I think the walk yeah. was somehow a, a symbolic thing oh, for him. absolutely, yeah. Um, and, um, and just as you say before, and you've said many times, probably just the fact you're being there, somebody mm. that is, um, you know, caring and yeah. understanding. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, we – Yep. But that was a sort of a, a classic example of the agenda was his. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. It wasn't my agenda. I don't know what it was all about. Yeah. Uh, who, who knows? <laughs> I was just going to ask one more thing and then we might um, um, uh, stop for today. But I had uh, – I get – Quite a few uh, emails, um, not so much phone calls uh, and texts from people who are very distraught out in the community that don't have the su- support, say, of police. Mm. And I was speaking to a young man this week who's a civilian. He's 
absolutely grief-stricken and traumatised by a situation that he was involved in about six months ago. He's got absolutely no support. Yes, he's got support from his uh, partner, um, but he's got no support like we have in policing. And his work cover has been declined for a whole lot of reasons, well beyond his control. And I actually hadn't thought of a minister of religion to be able to help him, but are there any particular religious-based or backed programs or groups other than, say, Doctor, Lifeline, Beyond Blue, etc., who can help civilians that are struggling with PTSD or what mm. I try and say now is PTSI. It's an injury, not a disorder. Yeah. Yeah. Is, could I what, – what could I – how can I help him when he doesn't have the backing of the police or whatever? Mm. Um. I, I uh, uh, that's not uh, not easy to answer. No, <laughs> no. Funny you say that yeah. because I feel the same. I said to him, "Look, I'll make a few inquiries," and then I thought to myself, "Well, the doctor, mm. you know, you get your ten um, uh, uh, appointments, mm. but then you've got to find the right doctor." It's, yeah. a, I suppose, yeah. it's like a minister, it is. isn't it? Yeah. You've got, and yeah. I said to him, "You've just got to keep going and trying everything." But I hadn't thought of a minister of religion. No, I mean. Most, I come from a position now, looking back, where I think for people it's it's about meaning, um, and we all what we do, what you do in the job, um, the, the scenes you go to, they're all affecting your sense of meaning. Yes. Um, so that's where I think uh, a minister of religion, mm. a chaplain. Mm can talk about, if they can talk about meaning without constantly trying to sort of come back to, yeah, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to go down the religious path now. Yes, because that, that frightens a lot it, of people, it, doesn't it? It does, and we, we should be capable, uh, make, make ourselves learn to be capable yeah. of, of talking about meaning without always casting it in a religious light because meaning has many, many more dimensions mm. to it for people. Mm. Mm. Um, you know, our families give us meaning. Uh, the world around us, nature and the beautiful things, as I said mm. before, they give us meaning. Mm. They give us glimpses of meaning sometimes then it disappears. Mm. Mm. Uh, love gives us meaning and love and affection and, and, and our personal relationships. Um, and, and our jobs give us meaning. And that includes mine and, and yours, and you know mm. any anybody's job. Mm. Um, if, if, especially if you have a very strong sense of vocation about mm. that, you know this is what I'm I'm meant to do, and this is who I am, and mm. uh, and this is where I fit into the grand scheme of things. Mm. When when meaning is shattered, we we go back to Darcy Freeman yes. being shown thrown off Westgate Bridge. Yeah. When police look at things like that uh, and they look at what a father did to his little girl, uh, that's that's when your sense of, you know, m your sense of meaning is shattered. Yes. Uh, yep. Certainly confronted, challenged. Mm. Um, and one of the police that I was talking to at Williamstown at the water police after after that event walked into the room and said to me there, where was your God today, chaplain? Oh. Um, and a fair enough question. Yes, you know, yes. It's a fair question. Uh, I just, I shrugged, I think, 
Mm. And sort well, of how really do you saying, that, Jim? I don't know. Oh. I don't know. We, we, yeah. um, but, you know, there, there is no answer to that. No. No. Uh, and if you try to answer, that's when you've let them down. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think. Oh, I know, feel for you. That would be a. But you know that's mm. uh, that's part of it, mm. and uh, and mm. again, you know, it's a valid question. Yes. Um, and uh, it was just a, a totally horrible incident for mm. everybody concerned. Mm. But you see, those sorts of things, not not quite at that level and in that way, but those sorts of things go on every day. Yeah. Oh, and this situation um, that this young man's told me about, it's, it's horrendous. It mm. uh, involves a couple of little girls who, who drowned. But, yeah. Um, and he tried to save them mm. and he, he mm. couldn't. But You can imagine him coming out and saying, where was God oh, yes. in all of that? Yes, yeah. But I'm just, so um, does the, because um, he's from Queensland, mm. does the Queensland police have chaplains? Like, yes, I do. Okay, mm. that's mm. something I might think about mm. then. I yes, might, I certainly um, do. And it doesn't have to be, or does it, have to be within the police? Like they would speak to other people that have been, well, he's been involved in a, in a well, it wasn't a crime, but in a, an unex- a terrible death. Anyway, look, it's something I can think about. Yeah. Look, Jim, yeah. I think uh, we'd better go. Um, that's all right. I'd just like to, you know, um, thank you for everything that you do. No, my privilege. Thank everything you. that you've done and you continue to do for those um, that are, you know, in distress, trauma and grief, and I hope you understand how many people you've helped and supported through such a difficult time. And I know you feel uncomfortable with these accolades, but sometimes it needs to be said and I've said it. Thank you. But thank you very much also for helping us down at um, Tarong because that was one of the worst jobs I have ever been involved in, a job that will stay with me forever and so, well, every member that was down there. But thank you for being there. Oh, thank you. Thank Thank you, you, and Take care. Thank Thank you. Look, we talk a lot about the submission that Jim made uh, to the uh, Legal and Social Issues Committee inquiry into Victoria's criminal justice system. And to give you a bit of an understanding of just what Jim is uh, so passionate about, I'd like to read you Jim's submission, and it's obviously with Jim's um, uh, okay. So Jim says, I write to request that consideration be given to the creation of a rapid response unit which would provide immediate on-call support to the general public in the aftermath of the wide range of distressing or traumatic incidents which occur daily across our state. Currently, There is no accredited multi-skilled unit to self-deploy to the scene of a traumatic incident or incidents or to which emergency services workers can refer members of the public, particularly at times of death, including road trauma, suicide or homicide, the attending emergency services members need to focus on their role and then move on. In the process, they relate professionally but fleetingly to next of kin or secondary victims, but they aren't in a position to support them beyond the specific task at hand. 
Police members have often expressed to me their frustration and embarrassment at having to literally walk away from distressed individuals or families with complex needs in tragic or dangerous circumstances. In my role as police chaplain, for example, I had police call me from the scene of the suicide of a 13-year-old late at night to say that the family needed urgent support at home to deal with a number of issues confronting them. These were not only about shock and grief, but they were obviously factors. I attended, but this is not really the role of chaplains to Victoria Police, Ambulance Victoria, Fire Services Victoria or the SES, whose role is to support emergency services workers, not the general public. And he puts in brackets here, in public incidents, the Victorian Council of Churches volunteers are only called out if a state of emergency is declared and even then it's a very slow process to get people to the scene, close brackets. On the 20th of August this year, which was 2021, uh, a mother and her two children died in an horrific road incident in Flemington Road, Parkville. This was in an area frequented by pedestrians, other motorists and those on public transport. It was overlooked by officers and other buildings. Members of the public who were witnesses and scores of people who watched on helplessly from a distance were affected to varying degrees by what they saw. The visual and emotional impact of witnessing such an incident can be devastating, but smells and sounds have a long-lasting impact also. Secondary victims are mostly overlooked in the way we perceive the effects of such incidents on members of the public. A few days after the Parkville incident, two children were allegedly kidnapped from a home in Blackburn North. This incident was vastly different in nature, and the effect on witnesses and local residents contained differing responses, including concerns for personal safety at one point. These too had their after effects. When distressing incidents occur in local neighbourhoods, the scene itself can be a constant reminder of the incident. I know of people who have moved house to make an emotional break from such locations. Another example of the need for a readily available response team is the death of a young woman pedestrian in the CBD. Her boyfriend arrived at the scene to discover her body on the roadway. For some time, he was left alone, sitting on the edge of the gutter in grief. Police were heavily involved with traffic and pedestrian control and other issues, including interviewing a traumatised truck driver, and they couldn't care for the young man adequately. Eventually, the woman's workmates arrived, but they too were shocked at what confronted them. Scores of members of the public saw the victim's body on the road before covers were available and calls were made to radio stations remarking on the distress evident amongst onlookers. A trained on-call team could have been at the scene quickly, provided comfort and information for members of the public and arranged privacy for those most deeply affected. The following day, A team member could have transported, accompanied, guided and comforted the young woman's parents when they visited the scene of her death. Requests for such visits are common and help those in grief to accept the reality of the death. 
The Bourke Street, Melbourne, Gargasoulis incident of 2017 highlighted the areas of community need which flow from tragedy. Hundreds of people sought counselling in due course, but hundreds more could have had information provided rapidly in the immediate vicinity as to what their reactions might be. Literally hundreds more boarded public transport home or returned to their offices without contact points for future support. There are several ways to disseminate information at a major incident, which a rapid response unit could coordinate. Early intervention is clinically more effective for individuals and more cost-effective for the public purse. In many such instances, there is a need for proactive and accredited underlined, multi-faith pastoral pastoral care and spiritual support. We are a religiously diverse community. I emphasise accredited because of the necessity to protect members of the public from those who, on occasions, take advantage of vulnerable people. People need to know that a support person is authorised to provide assistance in such circumstances. I was involved in providing victim support for the Homicide Squad and Major Collision Unit for eight years, which, in addition to my 13 years as senior police chaplain, convinced me that emergency services members themselves find such backup extremely valuable. It frees them to concentrate on their work without the emotional involvement with victims, families or friends, which is often very taxing and for which they are not trained. In addition, however, I know from personal feedback that the recipients of such care feel they have a reference point, someone who is seen as part of the emergency services network and who can relate personally to them in the days and usually months following tragic events. Again, This relieves the various emergency services of subsequent phone calls and inquiries from distressed relatives and friends. From experience, I know that although these can be frequent and time-consuming, they are extremely supportive. After such incidents, many people inevitably become involved in dehumanising and mystifying systems, either with police, the legal system or the coroner's processes. It's been well documented that such processes actually add to people's grief and distress. Someone to physically accompany them or advise them at such times is an invaluable way of providing a broad-based and government-authorised community service. Again, this also provides protection for emergency services members against unqualified or otherwise inappropriate intervention in certain circumstances. Finally, the matter of religious diversity and religious customs comes to the surface at times of death and bereavement. May I stress that the following proposal is based on a totally multicultural and interfaith model designed to be an on-the-spot resource for emergency services workers and the wider community including when dealing with religious issues in distressing circumstances. The deaths of Sikh, Christian, Muslim or Jewish, etc., members of the public raises issues regarding the insight and knowledge required by first responders in a diverse community. 
The support service, as proposed, would provide a valuable resource for them, including an educative component, and potentially enhance the public image of our emergency services in general as they demonstrate increased sensitivity and awareness in their day-to-day work. Situations in which the unit would self-deploy or work in conjunction with other services, for instance, an on-the-ground presence in times of bushfires, floods and natural disaster. Members of public witnessing confronting scenes in public places, example, railway suicides. Post-suicide family support, example, guidance, recontacting funeral directors, information re-coroner's procedures. Assistance to police with official death notification, especially where religious background or language spoken may be a complicating factor. Post-road death or post-life-threatening injury. Post-homicide next-of-kin support. Post-family violence or sexual abuse calls to police. On-call to Victoria Police Sexual Offences Unit. On-scene support in the early stages of searches for missing persons. Example, bushland, snow, etc. SIDS deaths, referral to specialist SIDS counsellors, includes sudden unexpected death in infants, which is not SIDS. Coronial services unit, accompany individuals or families during identification procedures. Drug overdoses, family support immediately after death, workplace deaths or injuries. Liaison with emergency services chaplains, re-specific follow-up requests. The unit could eventually provide awareness training to emergency services staff regarding victims' issues, including the area of religious custom, rituals and expectations at the time of death. Instant availability in conjunction with other agencies should a state of emergency be declared. Heading, response times. That aim would be to respond to predetermined categories immediately in the metropolitan area and from 30 minutes to one hour in regional Victoria. Heading, staffing. The proposal envisages a multidisciplinary team in the metro area comprising a general manager, trauma or grief counsellor, psychologist, multicultural worker, social worker and three chaplains, in brackets Christian, Jewish, Islamic. Interfaith chaplaincy is not a new concept and functions very smoothly in several Australian police forces, including in Victoria. Regional coordinators, who would be involved in field duty also, they could be based in Ballarat, Wangaratta and Terelgan, for example, which allows outreach to surrounding districts. The use of volunteers from existing organisations could cover many country areas. On-call volunteers paid on a per-call-out basis could cover more distant locations such as Mildura, Portland, etc. This program could be outsourced to an organisation such as St John's Ambulance Victoria with appropriate funding from the state government. Administrative costs would be lower than if run by a government department. St John already provides a 24-7 service to the State Coroner's Office in the metropolitan area in Geelong. 
St John Ambulance has a network of volunteers in various parts of Victoria and a communications facility in Melbourne which is on standby for major incidents. I believe that St John would be open to discussing their part in exploring the merits of this submission. Summary This proposal aims at providing on-scene response and rapid support in the range of circumstances described above. I believe it fills a gap in existing services and would bring a new level of support to both emergency services workers and the general public alike. It's generally accepted that traumatised people do not readily seek help. Often they wait for symptoms to deteriorate before doing so. Early intervention, the identification of those affected in various ways and the provision of information and referral to appropriate professionals has huge mental health benefits for the individual and cost benefits for the community in general. The restorative value of relatively informal contacts is also recognised in the program's approach. It means that as a community, we uphold the principles of compassion and respect for the human dignity of those going through difficult times or life-changing events. Jim Pilmer. How could you possibly knock that back? What a man. Thank you. Hey, it's Narelle here again. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy the podcasts as much as we enjoy putting them together. But to make sure you never miss an episode of Narelle Fraser Interviews, hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a rating and even a review. And please share it with all your friends too. And again, thanks for joining us. We have got some amazing stories to tell. So thanks again. See ya. Hello, guess who? Just a quick interruption here to let you know you can now become a Narelle Fraser Interviews Patreon. How exciting! Simply go to www.patreon, that's P for Peter, A-T-R-E-O-N for Narelle.com and search for Narelle Fraser Interviews. And to all of you out there who continue to support me, thank you so much. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 